I love Jesus. Like, I really, really love Jesus. And I know you're thinking, well, you have to say that, Pastor Jail, because you're literally a pastor and you're talking about it. But I really, really love Jesus. And one of the things that, that causes me to love Jesus the way that I do is all about this week. You see, Sunday is Easter. And if we're not careful, we'll show up on Sunday and we'll be super pumped because our mom will give us peeps and Cadbury eggs and we'll have a cool church service. But for Sunday, before Jesus can rise from the dead, there has to be what this week represents. And so before Jesus can rise from the dead, he has to die. And before he dies, he has to be crucified. And before he's crucified, he has to be whipped and beaten. And before all of that happens, he has to share with his closest followers the fullness of what this week really represents. And I really, really love Jesus because this week symbolizes the very idea that Jesus took my place. Jesus paid the price of my sins and my mistakes, and he died to pay the death penalty that I owed. And so we're going to take a look at a portion of the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says, on the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed. And that leads me to ask you a question. Have you, have you ever been betrayed? Was there a moment in your life where where someone you loved broke your heart? Or someone who was supposed to be there for you wasn't there? They stabbed you in the back. They they betrayed you in some way. And I ask this question because, friends, Jesus understands what it means to be betrayed. He was sold out by a man that he regarded as a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, which is equal to five weeks' pay. And the betrayer, a man named Judas, watched Jesus' ministry. He watched Jesus feed 5,000. He watched Jesus heal. He watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He was actually sitting at the table when Jesus explained all the events that this week was going to unfold. He he was sitting there when Jesus said what would happen to him. He was sitting there when Jesus broke the bread of communion and Judas ate the bread of communion. And I wonder, Judas had a price. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And I wonder, what's our price? Like, what what would it take? And for what do we sell Jesus out for? It's an ugly truth. But a lot of us, at various moments in our life, we have a price. What if we sold Jesus out for? It wouldn't be silver, but maybe popularity. Some of us have sold Jesus out for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some of us have sold Jesus out just for a spot on the team. Sitting, I don't have to worship, I don't have to be at church as long as I get to play. They sell out Jesus. It's not for silver, but for what? Is it for Fortnite time? Is it Snapchat? For what is it that each one of us, a few more likes on Instagram? And so if anyone understands betrayal, anyone understands heartbreak, anyone understands what it means to be sold out, it's our Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 11 continues. It says, on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Jesus knew what he was facing. He knew what this week represented. He knew what he was about to endure. And yet he was able to thank God before he experienced it all. And friends, that leads me to this question. Are you able to be thankful to God in the midst of pain? Are you able to experience something that doesn't go your way, that does break your heart, or that leaves you afraid or lonely or scared? And still in the midst of that chaos, are you able to say, but thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, even though my parents are still fighting at home. Three years after the divorce, they're still fighting. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Are you able to say thank you, Lord, for your goodness, even though those people make fun of me today? Thank you, Lord, for your tender mercy, even when I feel desperately alone. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, even though grandma is still sick. Thank you, Lord, for your help, even though my friends are mad at me. Thank you. There's so much to be thankful for, but can you be thankful when things are a mess, when things aren't going according to plan, when, when things are hard? Can you look to God and can you say thank you? Because Jesus took the bread and he thanked God for it in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of breaking. And I just wanna challenge you with this truth. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be thankful. Things don't have to be perfect for you to be thankful. I'm thankful for my family even when there's yelling and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my family even when there's yelling. I'm thankful for my education even when it's not fair. I'm thankful for blessing even though I still have need. I'm thankful for my siblings even when we fight. And so I want to pause right here in the middle of this sermon. I want to give you a moment. And I want you to think of some things, some things that you can be thankful for. Is there something that in this moment that you can say, thank you, Jesus. And just in the privacy of your heart, begin to whisper thanks to him for something that you're experiencing in your own life. God, thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have blessed me even though it's messy. Thank you for the ways that you've come through for me even though it's not perfect. Thank you. First Corinthians 11 continues. It says, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice that Jesus took the bread. Jesus took the bread and Jesus broke the bread. No one grabbed the bread out of his hands and said, you're gonna be broken and it's against your will. This is gonna be taken from you. Your life will be taken from you, but you're not gonna give it, it's gonna be taken. 
Now the scripture says, then he took it and he broke it. Each one of us has to come to a place in our own lives where we say, I will lay this down. I lay down my life. I deliberately and willingly and specifically choose to lay my life. And so the bread, which represents Jesus' body, the bread that represents Jesus' body, Jesus laid it down. Jesus took it. It wasn't taken from him. And the truth, friends, is he'll never grab your life from you either. If you wanna hold on to your life, if you wanna cling to your wife, cling to your sport, cling to your popularity, cling to your friends, if you wanna hold on to your life, Jesus will let you. He's never gonna grab it from your hands. But he asks you and he challenges you in the same way that he took his life and he laid his life down. He challenges you, will you lay your life down? Will you give it? Will you willingly relinquish and give control of your life over to the Lord? He asks you that question, how much, how much of your life are you really willing to submit to him? How much of your life are you really willing to to give God control over? It's easy to say, well, God, you can have control of my Tuesday nights, but Monday nights, that's for me and my friends to stay up all night playing video games. God, you can have control. You can have control of me. First thing in the morning, I'll, I'll spend a little time reading my Bible app, but once I get on the school bus, oh man, just be aware, I'm gonna start cursing and and joking crudely with my friends because that's what they expect of me like is there parts of our life that we say Jesus you can have you can have this section of me but but this section is this section is mine and you can't touch it but Jesus didn't say that to us he didn't say I'll lay down my life and I'll relinquish my life except for, I'll die on the cross almost. I'll give part of me for part of you. No, Jesus said, I I give it all. And it's easy to come to 4640, it's easy to say the right things and and think the right things, but what do we do when we're out of this room and what do our actions show? And the reason I bring up all these questions is this is the thing that we should be doing this week. We should be thinking through all of this this week leading up to Easter. Do our choices, the ones we make every day, at school, at sports, online, with our friends, how we text, how we snap, all of that is an, is an act of worship unto God. That's what he's asking for. And I challenge you, like, what if they wrote a worship song? What if they wrote a worship song about what we really do? about how we really give our hearts and our lives to God. Maybe the worship song would sound, I'm not a singer, but nothing else, nothing else. I just want you and Snapchat time and nothing else. I just want you and popularity. I just want you and all my friends and more time on my iPhone. I just want you. Like if we really sang worship songs, how we lived our life, what would the lyrics 
be. And as we look at this week and we look at how Jesus took his life and laid his life down, we have to start asking these questions like, am I, am I laying my life down? In response to Jesus laying his life down, Jesus gave it all. He laid it down first. And so as Jesus was going through this meal, this meal took place four days before he rose from the dead. Jesus was with his closest followers, one of whom would later betray him. And he was in this upper room, the Bible tells us. And and he started what has become known as a ritual, something that Christians and Christ followers around the planet through the last millennium have done. When Christians gather, they remember this week. They remember what Jesus was going to go through. And the way that they remember it is by celebrating what we call communion. And we're gonna celebrate communion tonight. That's why you're holding the cracker and the grape. We're gonna celebrate communion in a a few moments. But when Jesus sat down a few days before he died on the cross, he was gonna talk about what the next few days would hold for him. And he was foreshadowing, he was predicting what was about to happen. He knew that Judas was gonna slip out from the table that very night and sneak off into the dark. He knew Judas was gonna go to the priests and he was gonna say, I'll turn Jesus into you for 30 pieces of silver, for five weeks wages, I'll betray the one I know to be the son of God. I'll betray the miracle worker. He knew Jesus. Jesus knew that Judas was gonna do that. He knew that in the next few hours that the soldiers would come for him. He knew they would arrest him while he was praying and they knew they would lead him off to a trial that would take place in the middle of the night. He knew that that trial would be rigged from the very beginning. He knew that witnesses were being paid off so they would falsely testify and lie and they knew that they would do the trial in secret in the dead of night. He knew all of that. And finally, he knew that the trial would conclude that he should be taken to the Roman leader whose name was Pilate. And he knew Pilate would kind of interrogate him but come to the conclusion that Jesus was innocent of all crime. He knew, Jesus did, that, that Pilate would have him stand in front of all the people. And that Pilate would say, I find this man innocent. I will release him to you as a gift. And that the crowd would chant, The crowd would say, no, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that was gonna happen. He knew it before it all began. And I wonder, what do you chant when you're hidden in the crowd? When you're amongst your friends that don't know God, do you yell the equivalent of crucify, crucify? Or do you stand up for Jesus? Do you have his back? Do you separate yourself from Jesus and hide in the crowd? Are you silent about Jesus around people that don't know him? Because in the crowd that day, when many were yelling, crucify, crucify, there were others who knew that he was God, who had experienced miracles, who who had eaten the bread that he had fed to the 5,000, whose children had been blessed at Jesus' knew knee. They were there too, but they were afraid. They were afraid to stand up in the crowd. And that's what I wonder is, because Jesus, he doesn't 
He doesn't need our rescuing, but he does deserve our loyalty. And I wonder when you're not in this room, when you're not feeling safe and comfortable in your faith, are you willing, do you, do you stand up for him? Are you loyal to Jesus or is he just a friend when it's convenient? And see, this is the week that we ask these questions because we know that Sunday is coming and Jesus is gonna rise from the dead. We're gonna celebrate that he did rise from the dead, but this week we're somber. This week we ask the questions. This week we evaluate our own hearts because the Bible says that before we eat of the communion, before we symbolically eat of the blood and the body, before we go through this ritual that we're called to search ourselves. We're called to look inside our heart and figure out what's broken because there's something broken in all humanity. We're called to search ourselves and test ourselves and evaluate. And if we find something's funked up that we're supposed to say, we're sorry to God. That we're supposed to stop and apologize and ask God to forgive us. And guess what? If we do ask him to forgive us, the Bible tells us he does forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our mistakes and to clean us from all unrighteousness. But we have to pause. We have to stop and we have to ask and we have to look inside our heart. And in today's modern world, that's hard to do. We don't slow down and we don't stop. And that's part of what this week represents is a time to slow down a time to stop so there's Jesus standing in front of the crowd and they're yelling crucify him crucify him crucify him and Jesus is sentenced to execution by crucifixion he's forced to carry the instrument of his own torture from the palace of Pilate to the top of Skull Hill Jesus carries the cross through the winding streets, through the onlookers, through the mockers, many of whom ate the bread of the 5,000, many of him who watched him heal the blinds. But now he's carrying the cross and he's beaten and he's bloody and they don't recognize him so they spit on him and they kick dirt in his face because they assumed that he who blessed their children was a common thief, was a common criminal worthy of their scorn. They didn't realize what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, they didn't realize. Yet it was our weakness that Jesus carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So Jesus was led to the place that the Romans call Skull Hill, Golgotha, Calvary, the place where they commonly executed all types of murderers and thieves. And they took the cross that Jesus lugged up the hill and they threw him down upon it. And they began to pound spikes through his hands, through his feet. And they nailed him to that cross. Now the Bible tells us Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. He could have said, Father, get me out of here. I'm not guilty of this crime. 
but it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for us. It was the fact that he wanted to lay down his life for us. He wanted to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could have friendship with him. He thought of us. He thought of us that day that they nailed him to that cross. And then the Roman soldiers, they strung him up for everyone to see. He hung there in agony and he breathed his last. And all of this, all of this, Jesus knew would happen when he sat in the upper room with his 12 closest followers. Before any of these events unfolded, he sat in the upper room with his closest friends and he said to them all, this is my body, which I give willingly for you. And then he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said, this is what is going to happen to me in the next few days. My body is gonna be broken. My body's gonna be torn apart, but I'm okay with it because I do it for you. And so Jesus, before any of this happened, he foretold, he predicted that this would go down. He said, this is my body. And friends, you hold a piece of bread and I want you to take that little cracker bread for a second. And he said, through the centuries, every time believers gather, take bread and remember that I gave my life willingly for you. So we're gonna eat the cracker in just a moment, but before we do, I'm gonna pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what this bread represents. It represents that you willingly laid down your life for us. You gave up your body because you didn't want to give up on us. And God, there's so many times every day, every week, where we want to give up on ourselves, where we don't believe that we're worth it. But God, this week represents where you said that we are worth it. Sometimes I don't know what you see in humanity. I don't know what you see in me you declare me worthy. So thank you for this bread. Thank you for your life that you gave up in our place. Amen. Let's eat of the bread together. Bible continues. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So Jesus knew that his body would be broken, but he also knew that his blood would be shed. He knew that his whole body would be crushed and that blood would stream down to the earth that he created. He knew his blood would be spilled. He knew that God's law required 
that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And for centuries, God's people had shed the blood of animals, but, but he knew that the animal sacrifices were never enough. He knew his blood, the blood of the perfect spotless lamb of God had to be shed for the forgiveness once and for all, for all mankind. And so the day before he was arrested and the day before he was crucified, he took that wine and he said, this is my blood shed, given freely. I offer it in your place. take of the grape together. Jesus, thank you for your blood that forgives our sins. Guys, as we eat of the fruit of the grape, what we're saying is we know that his blood forgives all, all of our sins. And there's moments in life where sometimes we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, we feel like we missed the mark. Jesus, blood washes all of that away. That's part of what he experienced. Now I know many of you are familiar with the story, the fact that Jesus was nailed to the cross. But remember hearing the part of the story that talks about how Jesus was whipped before he went to the cross, before the spikes were driven through his hands. You see, Pilate, the governor, tried to get Jesus off, right? He knew he wasn't guilty, so he tried to get Jesus off. And so after the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him, he said, no, he's innocent. I'm not going to crucify him. He's like, I'm going to send him to be whipped. I'm going to send him to be beaten. That'll be enough. So they sent Jesus off to be beaten, and they brought Jesus back. And the people still didn't feel it was enough, and that then they crucify him, crucify him, and then that's when he was crucified. But I want to talk about the beating because I think the beating is really significant as well. The Bible describes that he was beaten with a tool of Rome called the cat of nine tails. And what it is is it's a leather whip and it has nine strands. And woven into the strands are shards of sharpened rock, glass, metal, all of that. And the idea was that this instrument of torture would inflict the worst possible pain. And so they would take the cat of nine tails and they would bring it and they would whip it full strength across the back of the man. And it would whip just like any whip, but then they would pull and they'd rip out chunks of skin, hunks of flesh at the same time. And it was believed in that day that a man could, the man could live through no more than 39 lashes that if he was lashed that 40th time, that there's no way he could live. And so a man was sentenced to be beaten, but not executed, he would be sentenced to 39 lashes on his back, and that's what Jesus endured. But the crazy thing about it is, I wanna go back to Isaiah 53 that we just read. It says he was pierced for our rebellion. What does pierced mean, right? pierced through his hands, pierced through his knee. That's the nails. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. So the crucifixion paid the price of our sin. That's what that verse means. He was beaten 
so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And I really want you to see this, friends, because I think what Jesus bought for us with that punishment is two things. Pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. That's for our salvation. That's for our sins to be forgiven. That was the crucifixion. But then he was beaten and whipped. Why? What does the verse say? For our wholeness and our healing. Jesus could have just been executed, but in first they beat and whipped him so that we could be whole and healed. And this prediction came thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. This was recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible that the Jews believed before Jesus was even born, they made that prediction. Another verse explains it in 1 Peter. It says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live by what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And those wounds are the wounds from the whip. I told you 39 whip marks is what Jesus endured. And here's the crazy thing. In the ancient world, they thought there were 39 categories of disease. And so scholars believe that Jesus was whipped once for each type of healing that might be needed by humanity. And so there's all kinds of healing that we might need. And this is a week that we can ask God for healing. And so maybe you need healing in your body or your grandparent needs healing in their body or your close friend needs a miracle physically. But there's another kind of healing that I believe Jesus purchased when he was whipped. And that's an emotional healing. And I know there's so many in this room that emotionally are unwhole. You've been broken by life, broken by anxiety, by depression, by stress, by anger, broken by hurt and heartache and pain and divorce and ugliness, broken by rejection. And friends, I want you to know that Jesus paid it all and endured both crucifixion and the beating so that you could be whole. If you don't feel whole tonight, if you don't feel whole, you can be made whole by what Jesus endured this week. And he wants you not just to be saved and forgiven and going to heaven, he actually wants you to live a life of wholeness. And if in your heart and in your soul you're not whole in this moment, you can ask him, you can pray to him, you can say, Jesus, make me whole. Remember being 16 years old and I've been raised by these amazing adoptive parents that adopted me when I was a few months old. But I was at that point in my life where I wanted to know who I was. And so my parents were helping me reach out to my birth family to maybe meet my birth mother. We'd exchanged some notes and letters and then we had a few phone calls. And then she said, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna meet you. And my parents agreed that I was ready and so we made plans and she was supposed to come on April 3rd of my senior year of high school. And I was super pumped about it and nervous. And I wondered like, what would she be like? What would she look like? My parents were in support of this and that we were leading up to the days and, and planning to have her over for dinner with our family. And then the day came and the day went and my birth mother never came. It just hung me out to dry. And I remember that ache 
and that loneliness and that rejection and the depth of that pain and betrayal that I felt in that moment and how it felt like my heart was getting ripped out. It took a few weeks, maybe a month. But I remember being at my church in my youth group similar to this and and just finding some space and taking that hurt and laying that wound out before the Lord and saying, God, my birth mother broke my heart. Please heal me. And guys, I felt like Jesus met me there in that place. And so whether you need that kind of healing or whether you need physical healing, I want you to understand that this week represents a week. You can ask Jesus for healing anytime, but this week represents the week where he paid the price for our wholeness and our healing. And so this night, if you would, just close your eyes. And if you recognize that there's something broken somewhere inside in your soul and you need wholeness to come to you, you need Jesus to to bring you wholeness this week, I invite you to just utter a prayer. Just say, Jesus, I need you to heal the betrayal, the boy that stabbed me in the back. I need you to heal the heartache I feel over my parents' divorce, my dad walking out on me. I need you to heal me from this eating disorder. I need you to heal me from ADHD. I need you to heal me from anxiety. I need you to remove from my mind this torturous memory from my past. Because friends, this isn't just a Sunday's coming and you get a Cadbury egg and a peep and go to grandma's for ham. This is a week that represents everything that Jesus did for us. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because of his love. And so Lord, we lay out before you our hurts and the places where we don't feel whole and we ask that you would heal us. We thank you for everything you endured this week and we ask that you would once again Heal us and make us whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.